First Thessalonians chapter 5. It's toward the end of your um, New Testament. Although it's actually, they think, the first um, book that was written after Jesus' death. So just about 20 years after Jesus died and um, was resurrected and ascended. And so listen to these words from Paul. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt But test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, Pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so that is the reading of the word. The very good word that Paul sends to emerging church. This was um, after he, in part, when he made his second missionary journey. You'll see that red line kind of shows some arrows, and up at the top of the Mediterranean Sea in that basin, there's Thessalonica up there, um, kind of way up at the top. All right? So Paul was there, but he wasn't there very long because he got run out of town. There was religious persecution. The um, Roman government wanted allegiance of all the people to um, those that were in control of the government. And so um, even as allegiance would be given to God, they, wa- they viewed their, re- their political leaders as gods and so wanted that allegiance. So there was persecution that way. There was persecution from the Jews who didn't believe that Jesus had come, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so um, there was a lot of persecution. So Paul didn't get to stay with this church plant very long. And he left, and he was really, really eager to hear. And he, um, he was so delighted when he got a report that they were doing well. But then he also wanted to give them some encouragement, some things that church plants that start strong, sometimes even in the best of efforts, can kind of dwindle away and kind of fizzle out a little bit. 
And so he wanted to um, strengthen the church there. This is the way um, he describes the beginning of their time together. He says, for we know, this is from chapter 1, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. This church started out strong. There was a strong word. There was strong movement of the Holy Spirit. There was the manifestation of God's power in their midst. And yet they were somehow at risk and they needed some encouragement and some more instruction to keep them strong. They were in a really, really um, prime spot because they were along a trade route. And so there was the potential that what God did in their midst would go out around the world. And isn't that the the way that um, God designed it, right? Even as we are on this primary trade route, if you think about it, from Detroit to Chicago and from the southern part of the rest of the United States up through northern Michigan and into Canada, The Lord has us in a strategic place, too. You're going to see parallels, or at least in my mind, I can see parallels between this church and why it was so important for them to hear these words and why it's so important for us as Gold Avenue Church to hear these words this morning. And so I'm not going to share, because of time, I could keep you here all day till 6 o'clock telling you all the ways that I think this applies. But I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to show you some particular ways that this applies, this message, this very important message applies to each of us. And so listen carefully as we go along. Paul was concerned about a couple of things. He was concerned about the religious persecution. The culture was trying to stamp out Christianity. All right, I said I wouldn't point out any parallels, but can you see in the world around us and in North American culture how it seems as if there is an effort to try to stamp out Christianity. And so he wants to strengthen them in their faith. He also wants, he has a concern about some of their conduct. How many of you all are sinners? Please, let's admit it. If we don't, then we've really got a problem. All right, so he was concerned about their conduct, and he wanted to encourage them and talk to them about that, and talk to them about how he would be addressing and how the Lord would address their walks of love and faith. We all need to be encouraged. We all need to be growing up and becoming more and more Christ-like. Amen? So, he gives them what um, might be considered 17 commands, give or take a little bit, depending on how you parse it out. But right here, did you hear all those things? Do this, do this, do this. Seventeen things he lists in this very, very short um, section of Scripture. It's dense. It's rich. And it's like, why are all these things listed here in such short order? And actually, they think that it may have been just a real practical thing. Maybe he had the next appointment and he needed to get going, and so he's just quickly trying to write down what they need to know. Or it could be that it was the papyrus, the paper that, he was being, that it was being written on, was running out of space. Have you ever done that on a post-it note? 
And you just start writing in like little scripts and writing up the edge and all because you're trying to fit in what it is that you needed to write down. And so for whatever reason, it's very concise, a lot of things listed, a lot of things to do to remember. Seventeen commands, but they're kind of organized in a way around, if you look at the way, um, just so you remember, when they wrote the original text, there weren't chapters, there weren't verse numbers. It all flowed together. And so sometimes they use this word brothers and sisters. When they repeat that, it kind of breaks it into some little sections. So, you know, I urge you, I ask you, brothers and sisters, then down in 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. It's kind of a marker to maybe almost say this is a different paragraph or I'm talking to a different group of people. Something like that kind of breaks it down. And so there's some instructions to a couple of different groups of people, people who are supposed to be um, honoring the leadership that's serving hard and um, caring deeply for them. There's some words for those who are caring deeply and working hard about what they're supposed to be doing to help the rest. There's some words to everybody that they're supposed to be praying all the time and giving thanks in everything and some of these things that would strengthen everyone. And so it's broken down and it ends with this beautiful reminder of God's faithful love. And so that's the way the thought process is kind of organized in this text. And so I w- I'm going to highlight a few of these. And you have a sermon notes in your um, worship folder, so if you want to follow along, you can jot a few notes down. So first is this, this emphasis on hold in highest honor. It says, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love. You might even want to circle, in love, because of their work. There's instructions to the congregation about those who admonish. That word means firmly warn or reprimand. To love is to express discipline. Because you love, you try to help people live rightly so that they can flourish in the Lord. And so hold these people that are trying to help you live rightly in the Lord in highest honor, in highest respect. The New Living Translation says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Romans 12.10 tells us, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So there's this mutual love, mutual respect. But then particularly those that serve in leadership to honor our elders 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. One um, pastor that I read some notes on his blog about showing honor, he said, you know, some people um, are a little concerned about, well, what if I show honor, but their, their actions aren't quite acting up honorably yet you know just like when sometimes you have a parent that just actually didn't parent very honorably but yet how do you show honor 
how do you encourage people? And he said, it's actually like you start to speak words that they start to live into. And so he said, when you show honor to those who lead you spiritually, I guarantee you that they will take very seriously the role that God has placed them in. And so as you say, thank you, thank you for watching over the teaching of this church, then they're going to think, yes, that is my role. I need to very carefully watch the teaching of the church. Do you see what I mean? They kind of start to live into that sometimes when you honor or respect someone, just like you tell your children, thank you for behaving in church this morning. I appreciate the way you're going to sit quietly, right? I mean, yes, has anybody ever kind of spoken that prophetically over their child? Another pastor, um, the church that started the version, the, the free app, the Bible app version, he says this, treat honor like it's the most renewable resource on the planet. Right? So, you know, if we think about, we don't, maybe we need to conserve water or conserve electricity, but he said there's no lack of honor. It's our choice. We can just choose to honor people, and the Lord will keep giving us more and more capacity to honor, and so we don't have to worry that we're going to run out of honor. What does it look like practically to honor someone? Here's some ideas. You respect their efforts, and you say thank you. You notice people's attitudes. You um, commend them when they do a good job. You show respect by being reliable and prepared. If you have a meeting with someone, you show up, and you're prepared for that. That's a way to show honor and respect. Offer your help. Be a good listener. Don't spend time thinking about what you're going to say back, but really listen. Listen to what's being said and shared with you. That's a way to show honor and respect. Speak in a respectful voice and use respectful words. Maybe send a note. We can mutually show honor. So we can say thank you to the nursery workers. Thank you to children's worship workers. Thank you for teaching our children. Thank you for guiding them. Thank you, deacons, for the way that you serve in benevolence. That's a way to show honor and respect to those who are serving in that capacity. My son um, gave me permission to share just a little story of the opposite of showing honor and respect. And so, no, this is not about him. This was about him serving as a leader in the middle school youth mission. Remember, we prayed for him to go to Madison, Wisconsin this summer, and he's been over there serving. And this sixth week, he was praying that this would just be the best group he had yet. And this was the most challenging group he had yet. And so as they shared their stories... One of the young men said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. My parents go to this church. I've been raised in this church. I'm a Christian. And, um, and then there's this rule, no electronics, no cell phones during the week of the mission work. And so the rest of the kids had either left them at home or they remembered and sent them home with mom and dad. A couple of days in, this young man is very distracted and just doesn't seem to really be clicking with the rest. And, um, and yet he's a leader among his peers. And, 
and Brennan um, hears that he has his cell phone. That some, one of the other kids said, he's got his cell phone, and every time that we're working, he goes off for five minutes and is texting or whatever. You know, every time he goes to the bathroom, he's checking his messages and stuff like that. And so Brennan asked to speak to him and you know, said, you seem distracted. Is there anything going on that's distracting you? No. And anyway, and he said, well, um, I've heard that you've got your cell phone with you. Yeah, and he's like, well, there's a rule, no cell phones, and so I need to ask you to turn that in. And he said, well, my parents said it's a safety issue. And um, Brennan said, well, if that's the case, there's many of us that have phones that can get messages or that could contact your family if there was an emergency. You need to turn in your phone. And he's like, well, the, phone, the battery's dying anyway, and he just hands it to him. And then when they have group... Then this young man who had been sitting with the group sits all the way on the opposite side of the room. He sulks. He's in a bad mood. That is not showing honor. That is not showing honor. He, if that young man was acting honorably, he would have been like, yeah, you're right. That is the rule. I'm sorry I broke the rule and handed it over and been able to receive forgiveness and go right on and be a part. But you see, he was being, setting himself above the rule. He was setting himself up above being corrected. And so that's an illustration of being dishonoring or disrespectful. Do you understand that? Okay. All right. There are ways we may not be having a rule about cell phone use in the service, although I think it wouldn't be a bad idea. But if you are playing um, Pokemon Go... Or if you are checking um, your messages on Facebook during the service, that's dishonoring. That's disrespectful. If you're using your Bible app to read along your passage on the Bible on your phone, that's very fine. But the other would be not okay. All right. Let's go on. Mutual encouragement. It goes down um, and says... After, after it gave the encouragements about how to honor those who lead and serve hard among you, then it moves down to this next set from verse um, 14. Let's see that again. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That section right there. And so there's a question Is it really talking to two different groups? Is he talking first to the congregation and then is he talking to the leaders? I think it's very, very likely that that's what he's doing here. Although it does in verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, just as in fact you're doing. So there's this mutuality as well. And really in the long run, for our sake, it doesn't matter that much because in our church structure... We don't have leaders that stay for a lifetime. They serve a few years, and then they go off, and then somebody else in the congregation steps up to serve in leadership. And it's a board or it's a group of elders and deacons that serve in leadership. So there's not this hierarchical, um, top-down kind of leadership, but it's actually we're serving each other. We're taking turns serving each other, recognizing that none of us is perfect, but yet we're trying to continue to grow in the Lord and encourage each other in our faith. And so there's this mutual encouragement. 
There's a tip about giving correction. This is for those who have to give correction. Figure out what the right thing to do is. So figure out what's going on that needs correction and what would the right way to handle this situation or right way to live be. So figure out the right thing to do and then figure out the right approach. How do you bring these words to someone? And how do you do this the most in love? And this, this passage talked about admonish, which is a firm and a stern correction, but then it also talks about some other groups that need some tender, loving care. And so we need to figure out how to bring um, instruction. And so if I'm going to come to Nate and ask um, him to, to line up with scripture about something, I need to figure out what's his heart. And how do I speak best and most lovingly and um, like a shepherd, like Jesus would be, to Nate or to Lori or to Rebecca? And so thinking about what's the right thing, what needs to, what needs to be um, changed to align ourselves with walking along with the word. And if we need to bring that correction to somebody, then how do we do it in the most loving way possible to represent Christ? Because... As leaders, we're representing Christ to the people that we talk to. And there's three groups that he um, outlines here, basically. One is, uh, you might call them the rebellious idlers. One is the timid, and one is the weak. And I want to just say just a bit about each one. The rebellious idlers, you might consider the spiritually lazy. It would be like a car where the engine started up, and it's just sitting there idling. How many of us have accepted Jesus as our Lord, but then we're just kind of sitting there, and we're not growing, and we're not moving forward in obedience, and we're even hearing what we should do, and we're not doing it, or we're lagging behind and letting a lot of time procrastinating on obedience. That might be the rebellious idlers among us, and sometimes in our own hearts. The timid. This word in the Greek was so unusual, it wasn't even used necessarily that much in any of the ancient writings, and it means literally little soul, little spirit. It's a um, sense of being fragile. Those that have been religiously persecuted or had undergone some kind of abuse might be considered to have this timidity. It doesn't take much. To crush them. And sometimes people that have the biggest walls, like I wonder even about that young man that was acting very flippant and had his guard up, but I really wonder what's happened. Maybe he's somebody, maybe he needs a firm correction, or maybe he needs to say, hey, tell me a little bit more about your life. You know, let me hear a little bit more about your story. And so we need God's wisdom as we bring correction. And then the weak. That would be spiritually or morally weak. And so that's why every part of our lives is supposed to represent Christ. And so we might talk to somebody about their finances. We might talk to them about their sexual choices. We might talk to them about their practice of prayer. It's all very, very common among Christian circles to encourage each other to grow up in the Lord and to line up with the way that Scripture teaches us 
And so there's no condemnation, but there's correction and there's calling because Jesus calls us to come and he says, follow me, which means become like me. Start to walk like me. Start to talk like me. Start to act like me. And so don't you know that it's hard? Have you ever had to confront someone? Yeah, anybody? It takes courage, doesn't it? And so the Lord is saying, this is what I want you to do for each other. I want you to bring some correction. I want you to bring some guidance. I want you to bring some encouragement into each other's lives. But do it the way Jesus would do it. And so that requires praying all the time and listening to the Holy Spirit and um, keeping that strong, strong relationship with the Lord. And so he gives you several ways to do that. And I could talk about each one, but I'm not going to. But I'm just going to say, he says, pray continually. And don't you remember that Luke, through the whole passage of Luke, there's been a real emphasis on prayer. Why is it that praying keeps our relationship strong with God? Hmm? We're keeping our communication lines open. We're remembering that God is God and that we're his subjects and that we're his beloved chosen children. And so it keeps the relationship going. If you have a friend and you don't talk for a long, long time, kind of feels distant, doesn't it? Sometimes you can even forget you've got that friend if they don't cross your mind. The Lord wants you to remember you're in relationship with him, and so pray continually. He says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And so, again, the gifts of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, is absolutely essential among the church for the church to grow strong and to fulfill her mission. And so don't quench the Spirit, but that means that we need to test the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And how do you test it? You test it up against the Word of God and the character of God as revealed in Scripture. And so that's why we require that people that serve in leadership, they have to be a little bit further along in their maturity. They need to know the Word of God, and they need to be people that they may not know the answer, but they know where to get the answer, and they go back to the Word of God to test things and reject every kind of evil because evil is... Remember that song? And it's only in you that I am free. And evil wants to tell us that we're free if we follow our evil desires, but it only gets us in bondage and yoked back again. And he wants the church to stay free, and that means staying free in his love. And so how are we going to do all these things? We're going to do these things remembering that it's God who called us, that it's God who equips us, that it's God who is faithful to us. And so it's his faithfulness. And we, even as we're getting ready to install our new acting administrative elders, we're going to ask them some questions and they're going to say, I do, God helping me. And then we're going to give a charge to all of you. Will you let these people lead you and will you listen to them and so forth and so on? It's all written down on the other side of your sermon notes, what we're going to say, so that you take it home and remember what you promised before the Lord today. And you're going to say, we do, God helping us. We can't do these things in our own flesh because our flesh rebels against authority. But by the work of the Holy Spirit, he keeps sanctifying us. He keeps softening our hearts. He keeps making us want to become more and more like him so that the good news of the love of God 
is just flowing out of our lives and the way we act towards one another so that the world will see and believe in Jesus. And so it is in him and it's in his work and his faithfulness that we can make these promises and keep these promises one to another. And so as the application and media application to this message is the installing of our new acting administrative elders and a thank you to those who have been serving so faithfully. And so I'm going to ask Ken to come up. He's the chair of our board, and he has a few words to share.